Welcome, everybody. Good to have you here with us. Good to have you guys online also. Um, so we're doing this series, Jesus, Who Is This Man? And I'm going to do Did Jesus Have a Purpose? Part two. Jody did part one last week. She was awesome, wasn't she? Isn't, isn't she so much better than Todd? I mean, really. I mean, gosh. Um, and hey, Super Bowl, you're welcome. Hello. In case you didn't get to see it, let me just play the video of my miraculous prophecy. You were doubting me till the end of the game. I'm not on a good track record with my uh, predictions all that much lately. And uh, I'd just like one more. And he flipped me all the way to the end of the Bible, to Revelations 2.11. It says, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be Jalen Hurts. The quarterback of the Eagles, right there, that's what it says, will not be Hurts, okay? It's clear in Scripture that the Chiefs win. Can I get an amen? All right, here we go. Okay, um, just don't forget to tithe on your uh, gambling winnings, okay? That's, that, that's all I can say. And don't tell Dave Ramsey I said that, okay? Uh, let me tell you a fun story about Parkview, um, really cool. That, Kind of is, it's born out of a sad story, but I, I, I want to help you with it. Uh, David uh, was married to his wife for 50 years, and then she passed away. And uh, they were good, devoted Christian people and attended another church around here. And after she passed away, it was hard for him to go back to church without her, you know? Um, sweet, sweet story, right? So he's getting a haircut one day, and he's telling his hairstylist this. And she said, well, why don't you come with me and sit with me and and, and he, and, and so he did, and, you know, she went to Parkview, so way to go. I mean, that, that's what, that, I mean, you know, we don't want people from other churches, but if you need a place to come, that's what, it, that's what it's all about. So then, after a few months, God lays on his heart this Ukraine thing. He's not from the Ukraine, but, you know, he's, he's from Europe originally, and, you know, it just was really on his heart. And, and, and he was wearing an, uh, a, a, a nice stand with Ukraine shirt at Pickleball. Pickleball's in the middle of everything in the world right now, right? And, and, he, and another guy came up and said, hey, are you, go, are you, uh, are you Ukrainian? And he said, no, I just, I just really have it on my heart. And the guy's like, well, I'm getting ready to go to Poland with my church so that we can help the Ukrainians. And David says, well, what church you go to? And the guy goes, Parkview. And so long story short, David is going from losing his wife, needing a purpose, to going on one of our trips to Ukraine because you guys are all awesome. And I just want you to know that. We're proud of you, David. It's really fun. That's a fun story. I love that. Okay, so did Jesus have a purpose, right? Um, I have uh, three different times in my life done a life plan. Maybe this is foreign to you, but, you know, in my line of work, it's kind of good to just sit back every once in a while and have somebody figure out, help figure out what's going on in your life. And we use this Patterson model every time I do it. Where am I now? What must I do? How am I doing? And what has changed? Okay. And these are the domains uh, for me uh, in my life. Jesus is at the middle. Go ahead and go to the next one. Um, Jesus is at the middle. Personal is the stuff right around the middle. And then I've got, you know, four life domains outside of that. I think everybody basically does family, church, community, and, and vocation, right? That, that all makes sense so far. So then you go through the turning points uh, in your life, which you don't have to have somebody help you with. Just, just go back and look at, like, every phase of your life and what were the turning points. I mean, for me, it was being born to the parents that I have, you know, and, uh, and, and then there was this band director in high school that saw leadership in me 
um, when nobody else did and believed in me. And, and that was a turning point, you know? And then there's this music group I was in, in in college that gave me the opportunity to travel around the country and and, and preach the gospel and, and, and see people come to Jesus. And then there was an internship that I did in 1982 at Eastside Christian Church where Gene Apple is from. Um, and, uh, and, and I got to go out there and see what the church could be like. And that was a turning point, just a summer, but it was a turning point. And, uh, and then I got married to my amazing wife in 1984. Obviously, that was a turning point. And we had kids. And then we got called to this church at the end of 1989. And that was a, a real turning point, that, obviously, for us. And then I got my doctorate, you know. And then there was this 1997 fundraising campaign to build what would become the Orland Park campus in 97. And it was a miracle work of God that a little band of people were able to raise money to get started on relocating to where we are now. And then there was the relocation. It took five years to do it in 02. And then I burned out in 03 because I was having way too much fun doing all the good stuff that was going on and I needed to rest more. And then I got the stinklings together, my three ministry friends that I do life with because we needed to all help each other. And then I went to Rwanda with Rick Warren in 2013 and, and that changed the course of a whole lot of different things in my life and the Life on Mission project came out of that. And, you know, and then COVID, I mean, you just look at it, all the different things along the way. So, so you go back and you look at those, and then you go dig into your personal values that drive you, and you lean into your replenishment cycle. How do you get replenished so that you know uh, the things that, that you need to be healthy, which change along the way? And we came up with these core values for me after all of that. And this is personal, but you know, I want, I want you to see that I do know a little bit about what my purpose is. Number one, kingdom-minded. I have a tattoo on this arm that says, heaven to earth, earth to heaven. That's what we're supposed to be about. Family first, passing on a strong, enduring legacy to my kids and grandkids and maybe great-grandkids. Evangelistic, it's, it's why I'm here. It's why I'm alive. Fun, that may seem weird to pick that as one of your five, but if you know me, you know, you know that's, that's me. And it's not just because I like to have fun, it's because Jesus said your joy would be full. And I think more now than ever before, we need to lighten up, right? We need to just have some fun. We need to understand the joy and relevance. Prodigals can know that Jesus is real. Again, all of these are more important than they've ever been. And then we go through the must-do, should-do, could-do, must-not-do list. And, and, of course, this last time I went through it, it's all in relation to, you know, finishing up at Parkview and figuring out who the next leader is going to be and, and what that looks like for that person and me as, as, as we're moving on, right? So, so my question is, did Jesus do a life plan? I don't think so, but, I mean, before the creation of the world, he knew where he was going to go. He knew what his purpose was, right? He definitely had that. I mean, you kind of expect him to because he's Jesus, but remember, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Jesus is age 12, and he's in the temple, and he's surprised because his parents are, are mad that he stayed behind, and he's like, no, I have to be about my father's business. Did you know what your purpose was at age 12? Because I just wanted to drive the ice cream truck, you know? And some of you don't even know what that is. But, that, you know, that, that, that's all I wanted to do at age 12. I didn't know. So there are three different times that I think Jesus stated a, a part of his life purpose. It's not, not just one. I think there's three different ones. And I want to look at one of them today. But let me start with this one. And, and I kind of alluded to this earlier. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full, right? A lot of people think... That, that God's goal is to ruin our lives and make us miserable. 
But it's the opposite. Jesus has come to bring us a full life. And there are actually three Greek words that translate into the word life. You know, like Greek just has a whole lot deeper meaning for a whole lot of other stuff. The first one um, is bios, which is physical life. It is, it is the word, you know, biological. That's where we get that. The second one is psyche, psyche, right? You know what that is. That's your soul. That's your mind. That's where we get the word psychology. You can call me psycho, right? If any of you call me Francis, I kill you. Thank you. Okay, good. But, the, but then, then that's the word that Jesus used, zoe, right? Zoe, the eternal life is what this is. And that return, that, that's the eternal life of God, the divinely unique life that God wants to bring us. And this is the word, okay? This is the word. I've come that they may have life and have it to the full, like full divine, eternal life. It's the same word that is used in John 1 when John describes him. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. This is what Jesus promises us, that, that we're not just gonna be with him after we die in eternity, that, but that he's come to give us an eternal life that starts right now. All right, the second time that Jesus tells us what his purpose is gonna be all about is a scripture that Jody looked at last week. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It says in John 3, he didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. Again, it's so frustrating to me. It's the opposite of what so many people think God is about, what Jesus is about. One of the accusations against Jesus was that he was a friend of sinners. And he said, duh, yes, that's what I am. I'm a friend of sinners. He came to seek you out and have a personal relationship with you. So the third part of the purpose statement for Jesus is what we're going to look at today. All right. And, and that's about how, okay, the, the, the purpose is to give you eternal life and the audience is sinners. And here's how Jesus was going to do it. Now, to set this up, Jesus is traveling from the Sea of Galilee, which every time I even say that, I, I, I can picture it because I was there. And, and, and you gotta, I mean, if you ever get a chance to go to Israel, um, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff that's cool, but nothing compares to being on the Sea of Galilee. And, and they were there, that's 80 miles away from, from Jerusalem. And so three times a year, most of the people would do the 80-mile journey from wherever they were. Well, they would do whatever journey they were, wherever they were in Israel, to Jerusalem, okay? They didn't have a lot of other stuff going on. They took, the, you know, they took some time off of the feast, and they would go, okay? But this is the time that Jesus is going for the last time. This is the time that Jesus is going for Passover, and he knows he's going to be crucified. And there's this tension that's going on. It surrounds the conversation that leads to this last pur pur purpose statement in his life. Okay? They were on their way to Jerusalem, even though, you know, Jerusalem was, it says on their way, I just got to say something about biblical criticism. Can I do that? Yes, I can, because I'm talking. Okay, sometimes Bible criticism is, is legit. Like, I don't know how to, you know, how to deal with some of it. And sometimes it's just dumb, because like, Sometimes people want to criticize the Bible that one of the gospel writers says they went down to Jerusalem and another gospel writer said they went up to Jerusalem. Well, guess what? Jerusalem is south and it's also up in altitude, okay? 
And I, it doesn't mean anything to us because we're driving our car, but if you're walking, altitude makes sense, right? So, so this is, even though they're going south to Jerusalem, they're going up to Jerusalem. Capiche? Okay? While Jesus is leading the way, it says the disciples were astonished, <laughs> and those who followed were afraid. And again, he took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. Okay? There's always a group following Jesus. He's kind of like Forrest Gump after a while, you know. All these people are falling in line behind him. They don't really know what's going on, but they're there, right? You know what I'm talking about? Oh, he's going to talk. He's going to talk. And since they're headed to Jerusalem and the Passover feast, there would have been other people, a lot of other people on the same road. I mean, it would have been really a busy thoroughfare. But there's something different about the way that Jesus is leading the way. It says he's leading the way in this version. Another version says he resolutely set his course to Jerusalem. Have you ever had something so important to do that you were just like all about getting there, right? Maybe, you know, it was a doctor's appointment you were worried about. Maybe, maybe it was something that was really important that you had to do. Maybe it was the airport, you know. I mean, I was at the airport a couple of weeks ago. I was at Midway having breakfast. And, you know, I got 25 minutes before my flight leaves and the gate's not that far away. And, you know, I knew everything was cool. And all of a sudden, I heard my name over the loudspeaker. Have you ever had that happen? I just, if any of you heard my name that day at Midway, would you please email me? I'd just love to know. I just think it's funny. I can just imagine you guys like, what's Harlow doing? What's he got going on? Evidently, the plane was not very full and they loaded up early because they wanted to get out of there. So I had to OJ to the gate. (laughs) And I'm just throwing that out there because some of you younger folks are like, did he stab someone? No, I'm not going to explain it. You'll just have to Google it, okay? This is what Jesus was doing, all right? One of the other gospel writers said he, like I said, resolutely set out. So they're not talking about the weather. They're, they're not, he's not telling them any parables. I mean, he is on his way with a purpose, and there's tension in the air. And everyone knows that there's a price on Jesus' head, and Jesus confirms it. He says, we are going to go to Jerusalem and the son of man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law and they will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him. And three days later, he will rise. Jesus tells them everything that's getting ready to happen. And they see the intensity that Jesus has as he's leading to Jerusalem. And they think that this is the moment that they have prepared for, okay? Because even though he keeps saying all of this, they still can't get out of their head that Jesus is going to come and build the kingdom on earth. They still can't get past the the interpretation that the Messiah is going to come and he is going to open up a can and he's going to start the revolution. They are expecting Jesus to march in and say, I don't have any money, but what I have are a very particular set of skills. (laughs) Skills that make me a nightmare for people like you, right? Boom. So James and John see this as their moment. If Jesus is going to become king... They want positions of power. And James and John, the sons of Zebedee, come to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. You have to remember that these guys are young and immature. 
But this is basically calling shotgun with Jesus, what they're getting ready to do. And Jesus doesn't fall for it. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And they replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in glory. Okay, the right hand is the most trusted position and the left hand is the second most trusted position. Okay, left is not as good as right because left was your bathroom hand. Okay, that's why we shake hands with our right hand because left was the the other hand. Okay, so this one's better, this one's not as good and then everybody else falls along behind. Okay, Jesus, what they're saying is we don't know what in the world you're talking about with this spitting and, you know, mocking and killing thing. But, but, But since it looks like something is getting ready to happen, we wanna be the most powerful people in your kingdom and we ask first, shotgun. And they're not concerned about what happens to Jesus at this point. They're concerned about themselves. Funny side note is that Matthew's gospel explains this. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus and her sons and kneeling down asked a favor of him. Okay? Matthew tells us it was actually the mother of James and John that did it. Her name was Salome and she was probably related to Jesus somehow. And just like any mom, she wants her sons to get ahead. It's just kind of funny to me because James and John are there, but they let their mommy ask the question, okay? That's the interpretation from Matthew's gospel. And he says, you don't know what you're asking. Can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with? Jesus is like, we're not headed for an inauguration. We're headed for a crucifixion. And let me, let me point that out. Jesus isn't saying, hey, let's go get baptized in water, but it's a, an important thing. If you're still hung up on immersion, baptism, obviously this is the word immerse. Are you, are you ready to be immersed into the suffering? Or can you drink the cup and be immersed into the immersion that I'm going to be immersed with? Right? Completely covered. Can you suffer what I'm about to suffer? Is what he's saying. You see, several times... In his teaching, Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. They don't get it yet, really. But either way, they give the correct answer. They say, yes, we can, okay? But honestly, this is kind of like when your kids beg you to get a dog, right? Are you prepared to walk it and feed it and clean up after it? Yes, daddy, yes, we will, right? And Jesus said to them, yeah, well, you will drink the cup and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. But to sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These practices, these places have long been prepared for those they have been prepared for, right? Jesus is like, you need to understand, okay? Whether you get it or not, you are gonna drink the cup. You are gonna suffer. As a matter of fact, James, according to history, becomes the first disciple to be martyred, not long after the resurrection, John will be tortured, James will be martyred, and John will be tortured, and he will be you know, exiled to the island of Patmos, um, and that's where we get the book of Revelation and a lot of the stuff that's going on at the end. The, the, these guys are gonna get it, they just don't get it yet, right? But what Jesus is basically saying is, I, I can promise you persecution, but only my father can promise you promotion. And when they, <laughs> this, is, this gets even better, right? When the 10 heard about this, they became indignant with James and John. Are they indignant because James and John were being insensitive to Jesus? I doubt it. They were probably just mad that they didn't think of it first, right? 
They didn't have their mommy around to ask for them. I don't, I don't know. It's crazy. So Jesus pulls him aside, and he talks about what is true greatness in life. Jesus called them together, and he said, You know that those who are regarded as the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and high officials exercise authority over them. He says, You know how the rest of the world works, those who have power or position they, they leverage their authority for their own benefit. They walk around and everybody knows that they're in charge. Or let me bring this a little closer to home. You know how the rest of the world works. You know how your boss lords his authority over you. You know, you've seen husbands demean their wives. You've seen wives nag and insult their husbands. You've seen kids disrespect their parents. You've seen how people try to one-up everyone else around them. But Jesus says, not so with you. I don't know, it just hit me this week. It's like, it's like the opposite of and also with you, right? Some people think they are better than others. Not also with you. This may be how other people do it, but not also with you. This may be how other kingdoms work, but not also with you. Not so with you. And I have to ask you, can you imagine if Christians around the world really embraced the most basic principles instituted by Jesus I mean, I know it's not how the world works. And guess what? It wasn't the way the world worked in Jesus' day either. You don't read of any Roman emperor that washed other people's feet, do you? He's, he goes on and he says, instead, not so with you, instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be the servant of all. Notice Jesus didn't say, don't pursue greatness. He redefined greatness. You want to be great? It means being a servant, being the greatest servant. You desire to be first, then you need to be last, and you need to serve. And if this was important in the first century, imagine how important it is in this century. Like, I mean, just think about how our world works, right? Let me just get this. Let me, get a, let me get one of these, okay? Everybody look good, okay? Yeah, I, I got myself in it. Do you know why they call that a selfie? Because narcissism is too hard to spell. Imagine, imagine if Christians just all of a sudden started doing things like Jesus did and serving everybody else. Can you not imagine how different the world would be? For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. If ever there was someone who was truly great, who truly deserved to be served, it was Jesus, the Son of God. And yet he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. So if this is Jesus' life purpose, then it must become our life purpose. Jesus is saying, I'm not asking you to do something I've not already done. This is just how it works. I want you to be great 
everybody, but greatness has been redefined. And if you know the story, in the upper room, the night before Jesus is going to die, it's like a few days later after they've been on this journey up, it's probably less than a week, disciples still haven't gotten it because they get to the upper room and a servant is supposed to be there to wash their feet and there isn't one so everybody just, you know, imagine what their feet were like, right? And their sandals, walking in all that stuff and there's no servant and nobody picks up the towel. So Jesus is like, I wish you guys would listen. And he takes off his robe and he bends down and he gets the wash basin and the towel and he washes their feet. And he says, I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. He redefines our role. He's the master, we're the servant. He's the one who sends us, we're the messenger. So if we're going to share the message of Jesus, then we do it as a servant. We don't look for ways to be served, but to serve. You'll read this in your Quest 52 book in case you're new and you're just wondering. We still have some of these. We're going through this whole year, not preaching the whole year, but we're going through this whole year, Quest 52, to understand more of Jesus. And Mark Moore, my friend who wrote it, said, the cross of Jesus is not merely what he did for us. It is the model of the life he demands from us. Have we forgotten that? So, so what does this mean for us? Let me give you a very practical question to ask this week. It's this one. How can I serve you? And I know this is where our defenses go up because we're afraid of being taken advantage of. But remember that Jesus said, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for men. When you choose to follow Jesus, you pick up your cross as well. So what might this look like? Well, if you're a parent, I mean, depending on the age of your child, you have to teach them to obey. You have to be the parent. But things can turn negative in a hurry with your kids. What if next week you just said maybe one time, how can I serve you? And see what happens. If you're, if you're a kid, especially if you're maybe a middle school, high school kid, whatever, still living at home, but you're older. I mean, you could just wait a couple of weeks and your parents will forget about this message if you want. <laughs> or I triple dog dare you this week to say, mom, dad, how can I serve you? They won't have an answer. They won't be able to talk. It'll take them a while, but can you imagine what that would do? I mean, just think about what that would do in your relationship. Couples, let me ask you this. How can I serve you, right? What if you ask that question to your partner? What, what does it say when I say, how can I serve you? What does that say? It says, I'm aware that you carry a burden. I'm aware of the responsibility that you have. And yeah, I have one too, but how can I leverage my time, my energy, my emotion for you? It's a game changer. And, and guys, gentlemen, let me just, I know this question scares you to death because you're afraid of what your 
wife might say, but some of your wives are afraid to ask for help. And if you just say this simple thing and open up this simple door, it could really revolutionize your entire relationship. What if everyone went to work or school tomorrow with this attitude? What can I do to serve you? I'll tell you what would happen. It would open up the door for them to get to God. That's what it would do. That's the whole point. The Apostle Paul said, for what we preach is not ourselves, it is Jesus Christ as Lord and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. Just imagine what would happen in the world if Christians could just get over the fact that we have rights and we think we need to have our way and we want to argue about everything and we just decided to say, hey, how can I serve you? It would blow up. It would blow up social media. It would blow up the whole world. Everybody would be like, oh, wait a minute. This is not what I thought. Mark Moore, again, says this. Though sin and misery have populated the planet, our call to create a beautiful world is still the same. That's why Jesus' cross cannot be the only cross in our theology. His cross served sinners. Our crosses save society. His cross saved sinners. Our crosses save society. When we carry, he goes on to say, when we carry the cross of the servant leadership, the cross of servant leadership, using our power for the powerless, we will achieve true greatness, not only in the eyes of God, but also in the presence of a watching world. And we've been missing that. Let me pray. Lord, it is, uh, is difficult to look at the world that we live in now with everybody clamoring for their own way and, and wanting to take selfies and wanting it to be about them. And it is really more narcissistic than it's probably ever been. And Christians are falling into the same trap. And, and the world around us is deconstructing their faith because they don't understand that it's not their faith they're deconstructing. It's the way Christians represent the faith that they're deconstructing. And I, and I pray for the world around us that you'll, you'll help us to model servanthood, that you'll forgive us for the times when we've been judgmental and hypocritical, looking down our noses, demanding our rights, and you'll help us Maybe even to reach back to some of those people that maybe we've turned off and say, hey, how can I serve you? Lord, for us as a church, may we represent that kind of a place to the community around us. As we get ready to eat this bread and drink this cup, Lord, we remember that it was everything you had that you gave to save us. So we pick up our crosses and we go and we save the world with you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.